This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. From MPB Think Radio, this is Creature Comforts, the show all about your animals and the animals around you. Kevin Farrell here with Dr. Troy Major, veterinarian at the Animal Medical Center in Jackson, and Levy Hartfield, retired director of the Mississippi Museum of Natural Science. The black bear and Mississippi have a storied history together, dating back to the days of President Theodore Roosevelt and the teddy bear. We have two guests in studio this morning, Dr. Dana Morin, Mississippi State University Professor of Wildlife Biology, and Richard Rummel, black bear coordinator for the Mississippi Department of Wildlife, Fisheries, and Parks. We'll get an update on the bear population, where they're found, and what to do if you come face-to-face with one of these mighty creatures. Also, Dr. Major and Libby are here for pet questions and recent encounters with nature. So join our conversation with your phone call this morning. The number is one eight seven seven mpb ring It's one 672 You can email animals at mpbonline.org. And uh, if you miss Creature Comforts on Thursdays, a reminder that it repeats Saturday mornings at 6. So good morning. Hope everyone is doing well this morning. Good morning. Good morning. So Libby, I think that you were a Nature Fest volunteer uh, last week. Uh, How did that go? Oh, it went great. We had a good crowd, and there's still lots to see at the museum, of course. The aquariums are looking wonderful. The nature trails are good. Uh, Be careful a little bit. If Right now, I think the leaves are all wet on the on the boardwalk so just um hang on to the guardrail and walk across and uh anyway it went everything went really well and um i heard clinton nature center had a big day at their nature day too um my friend and i went down to usm and i can't think of what it was but the um, the environmental center i believe something like that and did some uh, they've got some nice trails down there so we uh, did that last week and had a good time doing that yeah that's a great place um I, go ahead i was just gonna say i almost tagged you when i posted about my wildlife watching in the backyard we had a possum came for breakfast on the bird feeders is that what you were yeah what i was gonna was say paul very bravely i think <laughs> got rid of that must have been an adventure getting rid of the 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 invaders to the feeder and just in time this is about a half-grown possum and he he went through all the routines we've talked about of course um he didn't work like a squirrel. You know, the squirrels will leave immediately when we yell at them. And so yelled at the possum, and he played dead, you know, died on the bird feeder. And then it was obvious he had already broken one feeder, and then he could go up the shepherd's hook, you know, the little metal pole, and got on the other bird feeder and sitting in the middle of it. So he's playing dead, and so Paul put some gloves, get him out, and he started hissing and spitting and growling at that point. And everybody's getting upset. There were five or six hummingbirds circling <laughs> and making all their noise, and the morning doves trying to get their breakfast, and um, finally dumped him out. And um, we, there was a third feeder there, thank goodness. That's one reason I guess have plenty of feeders. <laughs> so a broken feeder and what I thought might be a contaminated feeder, and then um, uh, another feeder and a a, a, a male rose-breasted grosbeak came in for breakfast and so we were very excited and rewarded haven't seen him again but i hope we'll see more of them we usually get a few visits from rose-breasted grosbeaks and we've had um 
you know, all the usual suspects. The perulas are looking for nests in the uh, Spanish moss, and I've got um, two male prothonotaries, or we, as we call our golden swamp warblers, and uh, they've been going in and out of boxes, so I think they're about to select. I haven't seen the female uh, prothonotaries yet, so... We're all waiting for them, including the males. You know, they sit around with a twig in their mouth when they've claimed a box and wait for the female. So I always assume that they built out the nest or, you know, at least help. But what I've read since is that once that he will take that twig in and out of the box a few times, but then when the female comes, he kind of drops it and that's it. (laughs) So once he's sold her on the relationship, she has to build out the nest and lay the eggs. But he will feed her occasionally while she's doing that. So that's good. But uh, let's see. And encouraging people to listen, um, for birds. Uh, we're hearing a lot more than we're seeing. Uh, white-eyed vireos, red-eyed vireos, yellow-throated vireos, all very hard for us to spot, but um, we get to hear them. So, uh, again, um, certainly here in central Mississippi had some severe weather uh, yesterday, and I think all of us are kind of getting tired of this. It seems like a weekly routine, but I was reminded of, of how much our pets sort of sense things, and I hope people that are listening don't get too tired of me bringing up another story about my cat. But, um, you know, the sirens went off. I was listening to one of the local stations and said, get in your safe place. So I got into my safe place, but I have a little carrier, and I thought, well, I'll put the cat in there so he doesn't run around in case something were to happen. So it's never an easy thing, but I kind of shoved him in there. He wasn't too happy, but he stayed in there for a while, uh, and then the it was in the all clear, so he got out of there. Well, then probably about half an hour, 45 minutes later, another warning came through. And um, it's one. Of, he knew something was up because he, you know, I would come up to him and he would run away. And it's one of those where we're chasing each other around the house and that sort of thing. And occasionally he would kind of sit down, but as soon as I got close to him, he was off again. So uh, it's it's funny to me that you know, like I said, they he knew that he was going to go back in that carrier and didn't want to. So uh, fortunately, nothing, uh, no severe weather passed by. But I am going to try to keep him in that uh, his carrier when something's going on, just to make sure you know that he's close by and I don't want him running around should. Uh, should something uh, uh, weather-wise uh, um, bother the house. So, <clears throat> But again, uh, hopefully, uh, if, uh, if you're listening, that you, you made it through last night's weather without too much uh, damage or uh, that sort of thing. And, and as I said, it, it, it's, it's getting to be quite old. You know, it's, I think it's been every, almost every Wednesday for a month now, at least here in, in central Mississippi. So um, we can just you know, do your best and, and you know, follow what the weather experts tell us, and we'll all try to stay safe. So... Uh, good morning to you, Dr. Major. We've got an email here for you. It says, my family's excited to get a dog, but I'm concerned about the amount of time the dog would be home alone during the week. Is it healthy for a dog to be left alone when the family is at school and work each day? And then what, if any breeds, do better when left on their own for extended periods of time? We're considering a Portuguese water dog or a barbet. We previously owned a Yorkie. Well. Portuguese water dog or a barbet. That's uh, kind of almost out of my field. We just don't see many of those ever. Uh, One of the things uh, that I would say is actually make sure the dog has a safe place. A lot of the dogs uh, will go to their crate uh, when you're not there, even if you don't crate them intentionally. uh, They like to have a place that they can uh, feel secure in. As far as dogs that uh, 
may or may not get, uh, what shall I say, is it boredom or is it stress, uh, we do see a fair amount of uh, separation anxiety. And certainly things can be done to hopefully help with that, such as uh, toys, uh, that sort of thing that the, the dog would like. Another thing that some people have found handy are the pet uh, videos or the stations that the animal can watch TV. You'll be surprised the number of times you'll see the cat or dog sitting there watching TV, even if you aren't. So to tell you a specific breed that uh, is going to do best uh, from the standpoint of separation, I'm kind of at a loss there. I'll say this, that a large percentage of our dogs and cats are home alone for a fair amount of time because people work. Uh, And, of course, people stayed at home during COVID. Uh, But I would say that just careful selection, look for temperament, uh, and I would have to say that uh, word of mouth from the standpoint of the barbet or the uh, Portuguese water dog. Um, and if uh, if uh, folks choose to have leave their dogs outside um, while they're away at work and kids at school, and some basic things, but remind us of, of some things that they need to make sure to keep make sure their dog you know is safe and 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 sound. Yes, security is important. Uh, they need a secure fence, need a secure uh, area that they can stay in. I would offer shelter and make sure they have adequate. <clears throat> We're getting into warmer part of the uh, year now, make sure they have adequate water always, and uh, that's, that's an issue. A lot of dogs do become uh, bored and can get into trouble uh, either tearing up something or uh, trying to escape, so make sure that they're adequately cared for. And, you know, you, you brought up the, the pandemic with COVID, and it is kind of funny because, you know, the, I'm sure our pets were all used to having the run of the house, as it were. Then all of a sudden they had all these people around here. They were probably thinking, hey, what gives here? You know, <laughs> I don't I don't have my time alone here anymore. So uh, but um, back, back, back to your cat uh, and that play game he actually is kind of playing a game with you. But, you know, when people bring their pets to the clinic, a lot of times they haven't gotten the carrier out until they get ready to come and then the cat is hiding uh, and they can sense even before that that something's going on and uh, your cat was not wanting to get back in that carrier <laughs> the other thing thinking in terms of uh, different types of uh, tornadoes uh, storms we'll be getting into hurricane season soon Make sure that your pet has proper identification and that you have your health records handy in case you should have to evacuate. You know, the other thing, interesting thing was uh, after he, the second time, uh, I decided, I was, you know, the carrier was out in the hallway there for a little while and, and he came up to it. He didn't get in, but he was sniffing around it and, and checking it out. So um, maybe the next time if I uh, put it out a little bit in advance of him needing to get into it, uh, he'll be a little bit better. And it, it's interesting because he does fuss and fight, but usually once he gets in there, uh, he's pretty calm, and I guess he realizes that uh, for once in uh, my life, I got the upper hand, although I don't get it very often, and was resigned to go ahead and, and stay in there. Uh, he does, you know, maybe claw at the at the cage a little bit, but like I say, once I get him in there, he's generally uh, resigned to, to staying in there till he needs to get out. Although, like I said, when I got the all clear, he certainly ran out as quickly as, as possible. So, 
Um, and I found that most most of our pets are treat motivated, and uh, I don't know that uh, you have a catnip treat or something like that that might help with the carrier, uh, getting your cat in the carrier. But also, uh, same thing is true with our dogs. If they're treat motivated, you can make them not make them, but get encourage them to do a lot of things that otherwise they might say, "Hey, I don't want to." Uh, we've got a caller on the line. It's Mike from Hernando, I think, with a suggestion on the email that we just read. Good morning, Mike. Thanks for calling. Uh, good morning, and it is specifically that. Um, I'll offer you this, and maybe your listeners might uh, capitalize on it. When I was I was in television news for 20 years and had a golden retriever Norwegian elk hound mix, and she moved with me from the West Coast to the East Coast. And when she was home alone, of course, I was in television and gone all day. I found she was comforted if I put an article of clothing of mine out of the hamper. You know, it wasn't filthy, but it had my scent on it. And I have a cat now who, when I'm away from home at work, she gets into the clothes hamper. It's an open clothes hamper, low basket. She gets in there, curls up, and sleeps. I think there's a comfort to an animal to smell your scent. It's more comforting just to throw a rag in there or a bed or, or a toy. And often that calms them down, and I thought that might be helpful. Listen, that's a great point. Uh, and I encourage people also, a lot of times when they come to the clinic with their pet, if they'll bring a sweater or other article of clothing with their scent on it, it does help to calm the animal and give a better sense of security. Uh, great call, Mike. Yeah, that happens with my cat as well. I know that uh, sometimes I leave my pajamas laying on my bed when I go to work. And when he comes back, he's right there in the center of it. So the pets uh, do pick up on our scent, and I think it does uh, comfort them a little bit. Uh, it's time for first break of the hour. When we get back, we'll welcome to the show our guests, Dr. Dana Morin, Professor of Wildlife Biology at Mississippi State University, and Richard Rummel, Black Bear Coordinator for the Mississippi Department of Wildlife, Fisheries, and Parks. We'll be taking a deep dive on the black bear and where they fit in in Mississippi's wildlife, so stay tuned. Also, Dr. Major will stay on hand, ready for your pet questions. Call with questions or comments. Our phone number is one eight seven seven mpb ring It's one 877 672-7464. You can email animals at mpbonline.org. A contractor ever tell you the price of something and it sounds so high you think, eh, maybe I'll try it myself. Some jobs just aren't that difficult, and yes, you can do it. If you want to find out how to do those things, listen to Fix It 101, podcast everywhere. This is Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. Kevin Farrell here with Dr. Troy Major and Libby Hartfield. If you want to join our conversation with a question or comment, you can call us at one eight seven seven mpb ring It's one 672 Send an email to animals at mpbonline.org. Got a couple of guests in studio this morning, so we welcome Dr. Dana Morin, Professor of Wildlife Biology at MSU, and Richard Rummels, Black Bear Coordinator for the Mississippi Department of Wildlife, Fisheries, and Parks. Thank you both for coming in this morning. Good to be here. So, uh, Richard, you might not remember this, but the last time you were scheduled to be on the show was December of 2020, but you got called away because a bear was spotted roaming a neighborhood. Does that happen very often? Uh not often, but um, with the growing population of bears, they do show up just about anywhere. Um, generally, if a bear's going through a neighborhood, it's just it's passing through, and um, 
you know, it, it's not a panic situation. It, it may be on, on the, the residents of that neighborhood if, if a bear's getting in their garbage can or if they have pet food they've left out on the patio or back porch and the bear's getting into it. You know, it, it can be a little disturbing, especially to folks that, that have never seen a bear particularly in Mississippi. So so we try to respond to that as we can. And uh, and generally, again, the bear's just passing through. Uh, we often refer to jokingly uh, to bears as a big raccoon. Uh, they're, they're thinking with their stomach they're looking for something to eat. They're not inherently aggressive. Um, so if they're passing through an area and uh, they smell garbage, uh, we encourage people not to feed or, or leave pet food out outside on the patio or back porch or, or whatever. Uh, you know, it's one thing to have uh, skunks or raccoons or possums coming up and eating out of the leftover dog food, but it's quite another to have a bear uh, eating out of it. And they have an incredible memory. They have a good sense of smell. So if they come through, uh, say, a neighborhood or, you know, a residence one night and there's leftover dog food there or garbage that smells really good they'll come back the next night or the next night so uh what we really uh, our our main um message to folks is to remove what we call attractants try to secure that garbage in an outbuilding or garage don't leave leftover pet food out we used to say overnight, but now just about any time, because bears are frequently seen. They're active during the day. Um, barbecue grills that, that have a strong smell that bears can, you know, pick up on, um, that sort of thing. Uh, so if you would give us a little history of the black bear population in Mississippi. Well, I think we, we kind of all know about um, President Theodore Roosevelt coming bear hunting in Mississippi uh, up in the South Delta back in uh, 1902. Back then, in the late 1800s, there was uh, Mississippi and, and Louisiana had one of the largest bear populations uh, in the country, at least the eastern U.S., and it was really a haven for bear hunters to come to the state to, to hunt bears. The the bottomland hardwoods, the thick cane breaks was, was you know, just a haven for bears. So, uh, you know, bears were killed by the hundreds, if not the thousands, back then. Uh, it, and what happened was, you know, back then, there, of course, there were no game laws on anything. You could hunt where there was deer, turkey, bears, whatever. You could kill as many as you want year-round, no um, you know, no bag limit or anything like that. And then as the uh, as the area began to be settled, um, you know, we're we're clearing forest for agriculture, and so you had you had not just bears but deer and, and all wildlife being killed indiscriminately, and their habitat was being destroyed at the same time. So not just bears, but again, all wildlife began to be have. Um, being decimated pretty hard um and so um i guess through through history i think back in the um around the time the department of wildlife fisheries and parks was formed the old game and fish commission in early 30s uh i think fanny cook estimated about a dozen bears throughout the state based on surveys from from uh folks 
So we, we got down to about a dozen bears, you know, give or take. Um, and, and slowly, as game laws were enacted, um, uh, as far as the bear, the bears it was designated as an endangered species. Uh, so there were no, uh, you could not hunt them at all. Still can't now, uh, legally. So, uh, and then as we began to see, particularly over in the Delta or along the Mississippi River, where a majority are our strongest bear populations are, a lot of that land was, um, in, in recent years, past couple of decades, has been reforested. A lot of that marginal farmland that was originally cleared, uh, I say marginal, that that was flooded frequently and just didn't pay off for the farmers to continue to farm uh there have been government programs to put those put that land back in trees and and reforest so that is that's helped not only bears but all wildlife we have a caller on the line it's our friend sue from beaumont good morning sue what do you have for us well i think you hit the nail on the head i I was wondering um, are they an endangered species are they protected by the endangered species act or whatever they are the, the Louisiana black bear, which uh, really was under protection of the U.S. Endangered Species Act, the Federal Endangered Species Act, was taken off that list uh, a couple of years. Well, actually, in 2016. However, they are still protected under Mississippi law. They are still uh, considered an endangered species in Mississippi, and the reason they were removed from the federal list is uh, the recovering population mainly in Louisiana uh, and actually recovering in, in Mississippi. But the, the main population in, in Louisiana was recovering to the extent, and a lot of research done that showed that they could be removed. They were actually classified as threatened on the Endangered Species Act. So in Mississippi, uh, they are no longer on the federal list of endangered species, but they are on the state list. Well, thank you. All right, Sue, thanks for the call. Always good to hear from you. This is Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. And as I mentioned, our other guest today is Dr. Dana Morin, Professor of Wildlife Biology at Mississippi State University. Uh, Dana, if you would tell us a little bit about your experience with bear. Hi. Excuse me. Uh, Hello. Um, Yeah, so I've been working with black bears. Um, I I started, I think uh, some people might remember, I I started working with coyotes primarily. And as I came east, I started getting much more involved in black bear research. So I currently have projects in Maine, in uh, Michigan, in North Carolina, and Mississippi studying black bears. And what's fun about that is that um, the, uh, the populations are at different stages of recovery. So what happened here in Mississippi and Louisiana happened in a lot of other parts of the East as well, and populations really declined. And there were a lot of efforts to recover populations in Virginia um, and in North Carolina and other areas, and they're just a little further down the line. So it's, it's, a, it's really interesting to be able to see what they've been able to do and the, uh, the issues they've encountered and maybe start thinking about how do we proactively in Mississippi start to prepare for when the population really does recover here. Um, if you would uh, tell us about, uh, you mentioned um, um, uh, a study here in Mississippi. Tell us, tell us about that. 
it's uh, this is an exciting one. So um, we've started doing hair snares. I have a PhD student, Lacey Nolan. Uh, she's about three years in, and she's doing her third field season this summer. Uh, and what we do is we uh, we go out to different areas, and this is in collaboration with Arkansas and Louisiana as well. We go out to different areas where the where the black bear population is, and we put out hair snares uh, or hair traps. And so what that is is it's a corral of uh, barbed wire that's strung around a set of trees. And then we hang day-old donuts in bags in the middle, and the bears cannot resist it, and they come in. And as they come in, they leave a, a, a snag of hair on the barbs, and we're able to get, um, in a lab that I have back on campus, we're able to extract DNA from that hair, uh, and we're able to tell uh, who the individual is. But we're also able to start getting information about who's related to each other and where what sources these bears are coming from. So... Most of the black bear population recovery in Mississippi is coming from bears in other states, migrating into, uh, in from other states. And so um, to be able to better understand and predict how that population is going to recover, we need to know where they're coming from and at what rate. So that's, that's the type of information we're getting from that. Just curious, do, do the bears have a favorite kind of donut? I, I don't know if they discriminate. Do you, have you found no. anything, Richard? Yeah. No. I don't know. <laughs> do you? Wait, no. <laughs> well, I always say, you know, we, there are a couple of donut shops that, that donate to us uh, for our trapping efforts. And, uh, and uh, I, I always, you know, as a, uh, as a biologist, you always want to test the product before, <laughs> for you know, for animal welfare purposes, you don't want to give an animal anything that may be sour or so. Uh, in the interest of science, we always have to test the product a little bit. Would you say their favorite donut is the ones that are left? Is that <laughs> uh, so, Dana, where in Mississippi are people likely to see black bears? So most of our research or most of the effort we've been putting in lately is, or, or, or most recently has been in the Delta and the southwest part of Louisiana. Um, that's where the population, I think, started recovering um, first. And that's probably because there was a, a remnant population that was kind of a stronghold in the White River um, uh, river corridor right there that was kind of allowing bears to migrate over the river um, and disperse into Louisiana and the North Del- in the in the Delta area. But um, one of the spots I'm really interested in now too is what's going on in the southeastern part of the state because there is a small remnant population of black bears um, in the Mobile uh, the Mobile River popu- or, uh, uh, sorry in, in the Mobile area and so um, so we're getting we see we see records of bears showing up in the southeastern part of the state we're really trying to figure out are they moving over from the west or are they coming over from the east um, and so I'm, I'm curious about that um, one of the things that comes from kind of the similar experience from coyotes is that was me studying populations as the range was expanding, which is very similar dynamics to a a population that's recovering. Um, So I'm really interested in in, um, what those individuals, those early initial individuals that are coming over are doing. So I'm I'm, I'm very interested in what are are these sightings that we see kind of in the fall, especially when we start getting reports of bears showing up at feeders and things like that, where, where are those bears coming from and what are they doing and how do they choose where they're going to establish their home range or their, their territory? So. This is Creature Comforts. Time for another break. When we get back, we'll continue talking about the black bear with our guests, Dr. Dana Morin from MSU and Richard Rummel from the Mississippi Department of Wildlife, Fisheries and Parks. Also, Dr. Majors, always on hand for your pet questions, and Libby likes to hear your recent encounters with nature. So give us a call this morning. The number is 1-877-MPB-RING. It's 1-877-672-7464. You can email animals at mpbonline.org. Stay tuned. 
Hey, this is Larry Morrissey with the Mississippi Arts Commission. I'm one of the hosts of the Mississippi Arts Hour, the arts interview show on Think Radio. Each week, myself or one of my fellow hosts bring you in-depth interviews with different creative Mississippians. We talk with visual artists, musicians, writers, as well as people who help bring the arts to their communities. We hear about how each artist learned their craft and get some insight into their creative process. You can hear the Arts Hour every Sunday at 5 p.m. on Think Radio, or listen anytime by subscribing to the show through your favorite podcasting app. Kevin Farrell here with Dr. Troy Major, veterinarian at the Animal Medical Center in Jackson, and Libby Hartfield, retired director of the Mississippi Museum of Natural Science. It's Creature Comforts, and our guests this morning are Dr. Dana Morin and Richard Rummel. We've been talking about black bear. If you want to join the conversation, give us a phone call. The number is one eight seven seven mpb ring Our phone number is one eight seven seven. 672-7464. You can email animals at mpbonline.org. So Dana, when it comes to a bear-human interactions, what uh, can we learn from those types of interactions in other states? Yeah, uh, it's almost entirely due to habituation is really the key message there. Um, and that's why Richard was talking about attractants. Uh, I was out in Asheville, North Carolina just last month, um, and there were bears that were, we worked up a, a female bear in a den that was 30 feet from somebody's front porch, and they had no idea uh, because they, they weren't feeding the bear. They weren't doing things that would actually encourage um, the bear, the bear just found a really nice spot to den underneath an old fallen log, and she was there. She had her cub, um, and and they were just they didn't they didn't realize she was even there. But at the, in the same in the same area, we have a lot of issues with conflict because of um, issues with people putting their garbage away. Bears are really smart. There's a whole there's a whole center um, uh, in uh, for um, for testing products for bear resistance in um, in Washington, and so they where they have bears, and they and and we, they'll also use uh, the Western North Carolina nature. Center has two bears there, one named Uno, who's particularly good at breaking into garbage cans, so they will <laughs> test those products. But um, living, I think what we're learning is that, that you have to make some changes in, in our behaviors uh, to learn how to live with bears um, and to coexist with bears, uh, because they're, like Richard said, they're smart and they're food motivated, and so uh, and they're really strong. They're much stronger than raccoons. So that part is the <laughs> the part where um, where we start to get into things. But they're they're you know they're they're products on the market uh, um, for and they're there's. Um, movements in different cities to to use bear resistant garbage cans but that really has to be coming from the community to make that work because if you're uh, not feeding your pets outside and you're not putting um not, and you're not putting your garbage out until the first thing in the morning it doesn't matter if your neighbor isn't right so they're they're still going to be there um so if someone were to come across a black bear what should they do so, uh, what do you say? Make yourself big. <laughs> Make yourself big and yell is what I. So, so I, you know, I've been. Uh I, I've been charged by two black bears, um, so uh, you make yourself look, look big. I, I would not engage. I wouldn't run at it. Um, but like, yeah, the, you also you still want to be um, bold. Uh, it's different. I think that we're also finding there's different behaviors we're starting to observe. So that's why I hesitated for a minute, as I think in conversations with with other um, bear biologists and, and, and particularly in um, in biologists in Colorado. Um, and in California, um, the bear population, when they get really, really habituated, what what works now might not work as well. Um, they, they seem to be a little more willing to uh, 
stick around when you're big. But most of the time, the two times I, I, you know, I came up, I was in Virginia and I came up over a hillside and I must have been upwind of it. And uh, I, I, I saw a bear. I think it was, it looked like a, a like a kind of maybe a younger male, but he, he popped up and he kind of bluffed at me and then he turned around and he, he ran you know like it was a um and whereas uh there you can obviously see in other areas or other you know you can look at youtube and you see evidence of that not of, of bears that are less um, inhibited around humans now so but that really does come down to kind of like repeated encounters with humans or um and habituation so, so if you're carrying food Give it to them. <laughs> Not from your hand, please. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Drop it quick. Yeah. And, and there yeah. have been uh, a lot of instances of uh, injury from bears from people who have fed habitually um, from their porch, from an area where bears are located. And they, just like they're feeding birds, they're feeding bears. And as Dana said, habituation is the key. If they're used to coming up on a porch or a backyard and someone giving them food, if it's, all of a sudden you can't just say, okay, I want the bear to go away. The bear's there. There are no negative consequences from it feeding. So it may go to the neighbor. It may go you know, down the road. So that, that can create uh, potential conflicts by, again, the bear becoming habituated to come to a house and getting free food, and there be no negative consequences. Yeah, and, uh, imagine a window or a door is not much of a deterrent, really. No. If they know where the door is, yeah. where the food comes out. Yeah. I don't know if you guys have seen all of those. It's been, a, I guess, a, a boom of uh, bear uh, in cars and almost kind of like you said, Libby, walking through doors um, mm-hmm. on social media. But I think uh, about 10 months ago, the one from California with the girl pushing the black bear over the wall because it was trying to get her dogs. I guess that's an example of what not to do when you yeah. <laughs> come across a black bear. And don't get really close. Uh, you know, we, we see a lot of these things on social media with, with hunters in, in uh, deer stands or in tree stands, deer hunters in tree stands. And, areas, and there are areas in Mississippi, uh, particularly along the Mississippi River, where there are hunting clubs. And we've worked with a lot of them on trapping bears. Um, and there are, you know, resident bear populations there. And they're used to seeing them. But if, if a hunter is sitting up in a tree stand and he looks down early one morning, there's a bear walking along, maybe even a female with a couple of cubs. And he starts filming it with his iPhone. And, um, you know, the bear's kind of sniffing around, and he keeps filming. And next thing you know, the bear's at the base of the ladder at the tree stand and starts climbing up. And this guy or girl, whoever, (laughs) waits till the bear gets right there face-to-face almost before saying anything. Don't do that. (laughs) Um, Most hunters are going to have a hunting bun or a, you know, granola bar or something in their pocket, a snack. And as I mentioned earlier, bears have an incredible sense of smell, and they're curious. If they're walking along and they smell something and see this ladder thing going up this tree, out of curiosity, they may go up there. You know, if you have that wonderful opportunity to see a bear in the wild, you know, you can film it. But if it makes its way toward that ladder, uh, make a noise, throw a stick, I encourage people, you can get these little uh, air horns 
pocket air horns you can buy for about eight bucks at Walmart or any sporting goods store. Carry one of those in your pocket. If it gets a little too close, just blow that thing and, you know, but just don't let the bear get too close to you. We, we, you know, honey buns and, and donuts are almost like mini Frisbees. So, if, you know, just chuck one of those yeah. maybe in the opposite direction. <laughs> <laughs> uh, our friend Mike has called back from Hernando. Mike, good to hear from you again. What do you got for us? You guys, I'm sorry I forgot to mention this just a few minutes ago. Uh, I grew up in Utah, so I'm used to mountain lions. And up here in DeSoto County, we have had for the past 15 years a black panther, and we believe he's a Florida, Florida panther that's migrated up here. I know the big cats usually have a range of about 200 square miles, and a buddy of mine in Tupelo, they've seen him out there, so he ranges. But is that something uncommon up this far into the Mid-South? That a black pan- and everybody's taking pictures of him that have got shot. And he's a full size black panther, and I thought that was extremely unusual. Yeah, it is unusual. Um, the Florida panther is basically a mountain lion. It's just a subspecies of the mountain lion. Whether it's you know tanned, grayish, whatever you have out in Utah, they're they're one and the same animal. Little genetic difference, but. Um, so it's basically a Florida panther. It's basically a cougar, puma, whatever you want to call. Uh, black panthers are uh, the only large cats routinely that are in the black phase are leopards, uh, which occur in Africa and Southeast Asia, and jaguars, which occur from Mexico on south into um, Central and South America. There has never, ever been a documented um mountain lion, panther, puma, whatever you want to call, ever in the history, despite thousands upon thousands of them being uh, killed through hunting or predator control efforts back in the 1800s. So uh, what I've found, uh, a little over 40 years now, I'm giving my age a little bit, but kind of following up on these reports in Mississippi, we get pictures or tracks of of dogs, of bobcats, of uh, river otters, uh, surprisingly enough. Any animal, um, we, we do not have any documentation of a, of a panther in Mississippi. Oh, no, no, no. So, um, I, have, I have seen this one photo, and he's just a very, very, very dark coat. But the big long tail, you know, it looks exactly like a mountain lion. Yeah. And everybody around here says, "What in the world is that thing?" And I said, "I'm from the West. Looks like a big black panther to me. I know he's not black, but he's got an extremely dark coat." So, Mike, I've been sent pictures as well from people who were curious to know if the picture they'd found um, was a mountain lion and. Uh, I worked out in San Diego running camera traps, and I've actually had people send me my very own camera trap photos to me, <laughs> suggesting that they had been taken in Alabama or Mississippi. So I'd kind of be curious where the where, where the photo's coming from. Um, but I'd absolutely be interested in looking. If uh, I, So I'm always, you know, I study recovering populations. If, if there was ever to be a documentation of a mountain lion or a, a, a panther in, in Mississippi, I would love to be one of the people involved in that. So. Yeah. I, I, agree I, agree. I know that... Th- they're not documented, but several have seen him, and I've seen his picture, and I'm like, hey, I grew up in the West. That's, that's a mountain lion. Yeah. I, I agree with Dana on the origin of it. We get these a lot, and, and we get one, one. The most recent was a black panther around Wiggins. 
And it, it's fairly easy, if you know what you're doing, to do a Google image search on some of these things. And, and this image that the guy swore was taken in Wiggins was from a, a tiger reserve in Southeast Asia, and it was just a, a, a black uh, leopard, uh, which, which are common in that area. So we we got to be careful about the origin of it. Yeah, and you can send us a picture if you want yeah, to, Mike, absolutely. and we'll pass it on to Richard and sure. Dana. All right, uh, Mike, we appreciate that. It's time for our last break of the hour. When we get back, we'll finish up our conversation about black bear in Mississippi. Also, Dr. Major, still on hand for pet questions. Libby's here uh, for your brushes with nature. If you want to join the conversation, it's a phone call, 1-877-MPB-RING. It's 1-877-672-7464. Send an email to animals at mpbonline.org. Back to wrap things up after this. On Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit, you get information about foods you should eat to stay in good health and tips on how to stay active. I'm Dr. Josie Bidwell, host of Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit and Associate Professor of Preventive Medicine at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. Listen to the show every Monday at 11 or subscribe to the podcast by searching for Southern Remedy with your preferred podcasting app. We're back on Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. Kevin Farrell here with Dr. Troy Major and Libby Hartfield. Our guests today, Dr. Nana Morin from MSU and Richard Rommel from the Mississippi Department of Wildlife, Fisheries, and Parks. Still a little bit of time for you to join the conversation. Call us at 1-877-MPB-RING. Our phone number, it's one 672 You can email animals at mpbonline.org. Let's go back to the phone lines. Dana has called in from Jackson. Good morning, Dana. What do you have for us? Hi, Dana. Are you with us? Yes. Can you hear me? Yeah, go ahead. Sorry. Go ahead. Okay. Good morning. Good morning. 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 Um, I just wanted to uh, make a little comment, uh, tell a little story, quick story. There was uh, many moons ago, there was a cute little black bear cub that climbed a tree on Pecan Boulevard. And when I say Pecan Boulevard, some people will say, what? Pecan? Then I have to say, oh, pecan or buckon. Then they're like, oh yeah, I know what you're talking about. But you know, there, there was it. It was in the newspaper, and you all can look up the article. It's it's cute little picture was in there. So I'm, I'm, I guess that's not unusual for to, to see a cub. We talked about the bear-human interaction, so that, that possible. Well, I, I think what she's referring to it was not a cub. That this was a bear that was moved uh, from uh, Wilkinson County down to Red Creek Management Area because it was really tearing up a lot of beehives, and so that bear uh, was moved. Uh, we don't do that anymore, typically, typically because bears come back where they uh, re- return where they came from. Uh, but anyway, that bear was moved probably 150 miles away. It left uh, Red Creek Management Area, which is down in Stone County, pretty much based on the sightings. It kind of traveled up just straight north. It ended up on Pecan Boulevard in southwest Jackson, out very close to the Jackson Zoo. Um, and in fact, I was working at the Jackson Zoo at the time. We were called. Our veterinarian went over there, and uh, this was an adult female bear, and it was darted and removed from town. 
All right, uh, Dana, thanks for your call. This is Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. So, Richard, uh, when the black bear program started in 2002, there was an estimate of less than 50 bears residing in the state, but now that population has almost tripled. What what do you credit the success f- from? Um, a few things. As I mentioned earlier, kind of restoration, a lot of the habitat. Uh, and I, I say the delta a lot because that is where a lot of the our strongest or, or probably densest population of bears still reside. I love that spreading. So a lot of the um, federal government programs uh, through the farm bill and that sort of thing to put trees back in the ground, uh, convert agriculture back into forest, uh, <clears throat> uh, more habitat. Um, and, and as Dana said, we know for a fact that, that bears have come across from southeast Arkansas and in um, northeast Tennessee, I mean, uh, Louisiana. Uh, those are very strong, expanding populations, so we know they have come across the river. Uh, and we know, based on some genetic work that, that Louisiana and Arkansas have done, um, that some of those bears have stayed here and interbred with Mississippi bears. Uh, based on genetic work, we can look in the area of um, uh, Delta National Forest up in Sharkey County around um, the Valley Park, um, Rolling Fork area, and see that some of those bears that have been sampled there, I see samples bears that have been captured and we've gotten tissue and, and hair samples from, or uh, what's called an admixture. In other words, that bear came from... Uh, the White River, Arkansas population, and the, say, the Tensaw River population in Louisiana. Those bears, you know, came from each of those populations, came to Mississippi and bred. So, so we know there's um, genetic mixture there. Um, so, and in, in, interestingly, we're looking in the eastern part of the state as well, as Dana said, in, in lower Alabama and uh, Mobile River drainage, that's uh, a population of bears that is expanding. Uh, we know some of those bears have come into Mississippi. Uh, we've we've had some of their collared bears go back and forth uh, into southeast Mississippi. One bear we captured over just out of Meridian several years ago, um, and radio collared, uh, based on uh, hair and tissue samples from that bear. Um, it originated in South Alabama. So we're really interested. We, we've got bears coming from the east. We've got bears coming from the west. Not so much from the north, but but um, in eastern, uh, excuse me, western Tennessee, they're getting more reports of bears. So we have a few probably trickling in. So we're, we're just, uh, they're coming in from all sides, and we're, we're, seeing that population increase. Dana and I were talking a while back. Um, a colleague of ours, Joe Clark, who works for the U.S. Geological Survey based out of University of Tennessee, uh, Joe's had decades of experience with, uh, had his hands in bear work all over the southeast and really eastern U.S. And, and we are talking about recovering or recolonizing bear populations like the Mississippi population. You go along for decades, or go along for years, perhaps a couple of decades of maybe the population slowly increasing, and then you get to a point, it, it not skyrocket, but really starts to increase. And I think that's what we're seeing in Mississippi right now. We're getting more reports. We're getting reports 
of females with cubs in areas of the state that we haven't gotten. A uh, couple minutes left in the show. Uh, Dana, what do you think the biggest misconception that most people have about black bears? Uh, that they're that they're naturally aggressive. They're they're really not. They're um, they're self preservationists. So they're um, they're uh, but um, but they but again they will they will habituate. They're smart. They're really um, uh, they they and they're and they're motivated. So um, I think that one of the resources that's really helpful to you know. So I think part of it is figuring out when we're when we're figuring out how to coexist or how to live with bears is is making sure that we as smart living creatures too are figuring are, 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 are being responsible on our end and there's some really good resources for that so um, MDWFMP has um, a lot of resources available on their website um, specific to Mississippi and how to what you can do to coexist and live with bears and how to deter bears how to reduce attractants and then there's also a region wide effort um, called Bearwise that has um, has been um, really fantastic and you can get regular emails and they do a really nice job of uh, providing seasonal information on what you can do and what you can expect and, and um, to see from bears. So. Uh, just a reminder, uh, most folks have a smartphone, so if you're ever out and about and you see something that interests you and you might want to get some more information about it, if you would uh, snap a picture and email it to us at animals at mpbonline.org. Uh, Libby has a vast network of folks that she knows, and we could uh, get some information for you, maybe tr- help you try to figure out what it is that you have seen when you're out and about in the great state of Mississippi. Going to wrap us up for today. Creature Comforts is a production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting Think Radio and funding provided in part by listeners. To hear today's show or a previous show, you can go to creaturecomforts.mpbonline.org. Our show is produced by Java Chapman, and our call screener today was Liz Gill. So for Dr. Troy Major, Libby Hartfield, and our guests, Dr. Dana Morin from MSU and Richard Rummel from the Mississippi Department of Wildlife, Fisheries, and Parks, I'm Kevin Farrell. Stay tuned, because up next, it's AutoCorrect. We'll be back next Thursday at 9 for Creature Comforts. It's heard only on MPB Think Radio.